Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Now generally, when you go to a wedding, the entire focus is on the bride and the groom. All of the guests gather to share in the joy of a man and a woman being joined together in holy matrimony. And sometimes guests will travel far distances in order to honor the bride and the groom. Why? Well, marriage is special. It's the beginning of a family. Marriage is love taking shape into the forms of vows and commitments. The husband offers his body and all that he has to his wife. And the wife offers her body and all that she has to her husband. Love is no longer an ideal. In marriage, love takes on the day-to-day commitments. For richer or for poorer. In sickness and in health. In marriage, one's love is given a place to manifest itself. Yes, at a wedding, all the focus is on the beginning of a union between a man and a woman. And yet the Bible says that marriage is something far more. Marriage, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, marriage is a profound mystery that refers to Christ and the church. In other words, marriage is meant to be a symbol, a sign of Jesus and his church. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That's, and laid, he laid himself down for her. And wives are to submit, their, uh, submit to their husbands as to the Lord. As the church submits to Jesus. Each and every Christian marriage is supposed to remind all who attend the mystery of this union. This oneness that takes place of really the divine family. Now there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. Imagine this setting. Here is Jesus at a wedding. And this wedding, it would actually be a symbol of his future marriage to the church. This kind of blows my mind because everybody else there has no idea what's going on except for him. Nobody, not the bride, she's got her own worries, not the groom, he's got his own worries. I was talking uh, not, not too long ago with uh, some people about in pre-marriage counseling. I, I said, I said, now if you guys are anything like me, uh, the husband's wondering, like, wow, this is a huge commitment. Can I do this? And the bride's wondering, is he really in this? <laughs> <laughs> but they're both bringing their, their worries to this place. Now, even if the people there had some inkling of what was going on because of the Old Testament teachings, like our reading today, nobody really knew the identity of the Christ at this time. Yet the Christ, that's Jesus, the bridegroom of the church, 
He was there, and he was honoring marriage with his very presence at this wedding. Now in moments of weakness, I've been guilty of thinking that God doesn't care about the small things in my life. I have at times doubted that God cares about I went before I got married, <laughs> but I have at times doubted as I was dating that God cared about who I was dating. I, I mean, I didn't think he really paid much attention. If he did, maybe things would work out better. But now I can see in hindsight things worked out perfect. <laughs> but in those moments of weakness, I may have thought that God had better things to do. I mean, you look at the news today, it's far removed from what I personally go through. I mean, maybe the government shutdown affects you personally, but chances are many in this room, you're going on in your day-to-day life, right? But that's a huge thing that's going on in the world. Uh, you have uh, people, people suffering all over the world. You have people dying. You have people fighting uh, uh, for, for rights. What in the world am I going through? I'm stressed out about this class. I'm stressed out about this relationship. I've had a hard time talking with this person. Does God care about this small stuff? Well, Jesus attended attendance at this wedding. I think it proves that he cares about the small things going on in people's lives. He was invited and he came. This wedding would foreshadow the union between him and his church and he honored it with his presence. And he also showed us that the personal matters of our lives, they're important to him. Just like the bride and groom in Cana invited him, so you can invite Jesus to be involved in the small things in your life. What are you going through? He cares and desires to be there. In our gospel, Jesus becomes the main focus at this wedding. But I want you to know, at the wedding, he was not the main focus. Does that make sense? He's the main focus of what we're seeing, but he's not the main focus at the event. He should be the main focus of every Christian wedding, but that is not always the case. But anyway, if we had been at the wedding, we probably wouldn't even have noticed this guy. If you notice in the painting that we have, he's kind of separate from the main hall. He's there with the servants who are preparing everything. Uh, He would have been just another guest. But our gospel zooms into the area of the wedding guests where we find Jesus. He is forced into the center of a situation that he would have rather not been included in. The wine had run out and the party at, at, the, at the party, this was bad news. We made sure we had plenty of wine and, uh, and, and barley wine uh, at, at our wedding. But you don't want to run out. This is an embarrassment. So the wine ran out. The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. You can almost see it in like a whisper. Hey, I think 
they're running out of wine over there. And Jesus looks back at her and says, Well, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, Jesus wasn't trying to get out of chores here. It wasn't like his mom was asking him to take out the trash and he was like, Ugh. Can't James do it? (laughs) No, Jesus wasn't doing that. When Jesus mentioned his hour, he was talking about his death on the cross for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Jesus had three years before his hour would take place. At this time, Jesus did not want to cause a stir. He had barely begun teaching his disciples about who he was. Barely began. Nonetheless, his mother said to his servants, I love this, she kind of ignores what he said, and then he turns to the servants and says, do whatever he says. She doesn't like beg him. She doesn't, uh, she doesn't say, but Jesus, look at the situation. She just takes into account what he said and then turns to the servants and says, just do whatever he tells you. Jesus' mother at this point was used, uh, used, sorry, I'm uh, using a little Michigander uh, slang, but she was used to uh, having, having his, uh, her child do what she said. You see what I mean? She's used to being Jesus' mom Because for 30 years, she had been the son of God's mom. I often think, you know, being his mom would be pretty hard a lot of times, but when saying, come time, it's time to eat, he's not going to argue with you. So there would be good things. But she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And and Jesus uh, prepares to listen to his mother once again. So she told Jesus to take care of the bride and the groom out of her love for them. And you know what? We do this too. Do you have people that you pray for? Do you have people that you're worried about? Do you ever talk to somebody and they're going through an embarrassing situation and you're like, I don't exactly know what to do for you but you pray for them. That's kind of what Mary did in this situation. She couldn't help. It was beyond her capabilities. So she brought it to the only person who could help. And Jesus, he fulfilled the fourth commandment and he honored his mother. God in the flesh submitted to the Ten Commandments once again in order to fulfill them on our behalf. How often do we readily obey our mother and father or those put in charge over us? Every time someone has authority over us and asks us to do something, our blood curdles and we want our own independence once again. I don't like the feeling I get when I drive past a person in authority over me and I'm going five miles per hour over the speed limit. There's a feeling in me that says, Uh, I hope he doesn't pull me over. I don't want to face authority, right? I don't want, I don't like it when uh, when I have to uh, write write reports. 
I don't want to be under authority. But Jesus was under authority perfectly. And he did it for all the times that I haven't been. All the times when I argued with my mother and father. All the times that I wished my professors uh, would do things a little differently. So Jesus obeys on our behalf. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone saves the good wine for, or serves the good wine first. And when the people have freely drunk, meaning they've lost their taste buds, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. The thing that is most intriguing about this miracle to me is that only the servants and Jesus' disciples got to witness it. Jesus shared this miracle with the lowliest people at the wedding. Everybody got the benefit, but the only people that knew were the servants. The people farthest away from the position of honor got to see God in the flesh performing a miracle. We so often seek out positions of honor, don't we? How many of us say, oh, I hope I get the seat next to the servants, next to the doorway where all the waiters come in and out? No, we want to be closest to the action. We want to see the bride and groom kiss. We want to be a part of the the stuff that's closest to the action. Yet, if we were at this wedding in a place of honor, we would have missed Jesus' first miracle. Have you ever sought out personal gain and and thereby missed out on God's miracle? The thing is, you don't know, right? You don't know. The funny, but from this text, we learn that Jesus is quite comfortable being with those who serve over being those who are served. The servers often get a closer look into what Jesus is doing. The end result of Jesus' miracle is that his disciples believed in him. This made the miracle all worthwhile. After, I also want, to, I want you to think about something. If you serve, chances are you want people to notice. Like if you do something good, you've got to tell somebody. I, I often think about... Uh, how when I do something good, I can't wait to let my, my wife and kids, or not my kids so much, but I can't wait to let my wife know. Or I want to call up mom and dad. I want to say, hey, this thing went great. 
And then I'm looking for them to kind of say, good job, way to go. Right? So where am I seeking my glory? I'm, I'm seeking praise from, from people. Right? But here, these guys are in on God's work. God did this. And nobody, nobody even knows that they were a part of it. Who got the praise? It was the father of the bride. And he didn't do a thing. He was just as dumbfounded as everybody else. So Jesus not only honored the bride and groom, he, well, let me break this down. Um, so what did we learn from today's text? How are we going to break this down? Well, I found it hard to pinpoint just one thing. In this text, I see Jesus honoring marriage. That's one thing. I see that he cares about the small things in my life. That's two. I learn from Jesus to honor my father and mother and all those who have authority over me, no matter how great I think I am. Jesus definitely, being God, was pretty great. (laughs) Yet he still submitted uh, to his mother. That's that's three or four. Uh, I learned uh, that it is better to serve than to be served. For those whom serve... Uh, get a closer look at what Jesus is doing. And I learned through Jesus' miracle that he truly is the Son of God who at the right hour, at the right hour, died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sin. His hour did come, and it came for his church. It came for you and me. It came where he would lay down his life for his bride. Jesus not only honored the bride and groom at their wedding in Cana, he honors us today with his presence. He has said, whenever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. And moreover, he not only showed us a miracle of turning water into wine, today he gives us the miracle of of giving us his true body and blood in, with, and under bread and wine. His same body that hung on the cross and his same blood that poured from his hands and his feet are given to you for the forgiveness of all of your sin. Yes, Jesus is an example to us, but he is much more than that. He is the death of all of your sin, and he is your everlasting life. He is your, the churches, he is the bridegroom. He married you. His church in the waters of baptism. You know, I often like to point out with baptism that oftentimes a child, uh, when they're uh, When they're baptized, they're dressed in a baptismal gown. And what color is that baptismal gown? White. Right. And where's one of the other only other times where someone wears the color white in in a church service? What's that? The wedding. Exactly right. 
And in those baptismal waters, you're not only made a child of the Heavenly Father, you're also united with Christ, the bridegroom. So it's like a wedding day. It's a beautiful thing. There's this great uh, song uh, by by a Christian artist. He has lots of uh, bad songs, but I love this song. Uh, it's uh, his name is Phil Keggy, and he he's in this song. He says, "We walk the aisle of history towards the wedding feast because Jesus loves the church." I like that. I like that. Um, It says this walk is a walk towards that marriage feast. Beautiful imagery. And Jesus says, take what is mine, my body, my blood, my life, my salvation. I give it to you. And we, the bride, we submit. And we say, yes, Lord, I receive it with thanksgiving. Amen.